Hello and salam. Welcome to Muslim Viewpoint, a new podcast series powered by American Muslim Today. We're a groundbreaking non-profit digital newspaper who champions civic engagement. AMT informs and empowers the diverse voices of almost 30 million Muslims here in the U.S. and other Western countries. I'm Rifat Malik. I'm AMT's Editor-in-Chief. And today we have an interview with Dr. Noor Akras, who recently published a book about her first-hand experience as a pediatrician caring for the Syrian refugees impacted by civil war and Western sanctions. As a pediatric infectious disease expert, one of only 1,500 in the United States, across saw firsthand their human suffering as a relief worker with aid agency MedGlobal. She spoke to our reporter, Maya Gaylor. And then I could send you that link. Okay, awesome, perfect. That's great, thank you. Um, yes, because we are going to be doing, um, so we're going to be using this audio for our podcast and radio show, and then uh, we'll also do an online article. Um, so the media per package will be great um, to use for pictures. So thank you for that. All right. And then we can go ahead and get started if you're ready. Yep. Okay. So if you can just start by telling me um, what exactly led you uh, on your mission on your mission of you know serving these war torn areas? Um, so the the first one was kind of an impromptu uh, invitation when I was at a um, a gathering um, when the war in Syria had first started and the first set of refugees had um, just uh, arrived in Turkey in uh, the summer into the fall of 2011. Um, and so nobody expected that the, the war would last this long. It's been going on for 12 years now. Um, so I had been at a at a dinner and, and uh, the leader of the medical mission had invited me and she said, we, we don't have a pediatrician. We need a pediatrician. Would you like to come? Will you accompany us on this trip? And so in my mind, I had always thought that I would do something like that, but not when I had such young children. And at the time I had um, two small kids, but in any case, so I did go and that mission like really changed my life and it changed the trajectory of my life. Just, you know, seeing people in such horrendous conditions and always imagining myself in their place. Like what if I was in a stuck in a refugee camp with small children? Wouldn't I want somebody to help me? And so that kind of was uh, the mindset then. Right. Um, so, you know, kind of what was that like for you, you know, juggling all of that, seeing that um, and then, you know, like you said, having small children at home. Yeah, it was really difficult. I mean, listening to people's stories, um, hearing how their ho- homes had been bombed, um, how barrel bombs worked, um, how people had lost their loved ones in, in really horrific ways, uh, lost their homes, lost their livelihoods. That was really hard. Um, you know, it was uh, it was hard to leave my children, obviously, but I knew that they were in the care of their grandparents. And so, you know, I trusted people. And so that that was kind of, you know, in the back of my my mind that, you know, they were with people who loved them and were taking care of them. So that wasn't as difficult. But like hearing these stories and listening to people talk about what they were experiencing in Syria and what led them to leave um, and then seeing their new conditions, their, um, you know, families are five or six five or six living in small tents uh, with no end in sight. And, you know, just knowing now, like 12 years later, a lot of these people are still there, uh, still in these living conditions. Um, And then coming back to the United States and then you come back to your, you know, seemingly normal life. And that's just difficult too, because it just, lots of people have existential crises after they have these experiences because you think like, what am I doing here? (laughs) What is, 
what does my life mean? And, you know, and then normal everyday conversations um, seem so frivolous, like, like, um, I don't know, like, does my pants match my shirt? Or, you know, what color should we paint this room? Or, you know, does this carpet match our, you know, our, our, our home decor, you know, things like that just seem so frivolous. And it's hard to wrap your head around. Just last week, I was talking to somebody who just lost their husband and had a baby in a refugee camp. And now I'm talking about whether I want to paint this wall green, it just, it just doesn't, it doesn't add up. It's kind of traumatic, but thankfully that experience, you know, the the experience of the existential crisis, it fades and you kind of, you know, acclimate to back to your normal life. Um, but the stories stick with you. And, um, I, you know, even when I write about them now, or I talk about them, I still get like kind of emotional, even though it's been many years since I've come back. Yeah, exactly. And, um, because you've experienced all of this and there is that juxtaposition I didn't even think about. So why is it so important that you wrote these stories down and share this experience? I think a lot of people don't know uh, what refugees experience, um, uh, you know, especially in, in light of the last five to 10 years where there's been a real rise in anti-refugee or anti-migrant sentiments and, you know, people are like, oh, why are these people here? They're coming here to take over our jobs or take over our space or invade, you know, invade our space. And it's like, well, if you talk to a refugee, then you would know why they, they left their homes, the comfort of their homes, you know, like nobody leaves the comfort of their homes for a refugee camp unless what they're experiencing is so horrific. Um, and so for me, um, even publishing the book, the whole reason was to shed light on these human stories and to humanize refugees and their experiences um, as opposed to like just painting them with one, you know, one brush that they're just a burden on society. No, they're not. They're not a burden on society. We should see them as their potential, what potential they can be or contribute to our society. But they can't live up to their potential if we don't provide them with safety, security, education, jobs. Like they need all of those things so they can rise to their fullest potential. Yeah. And so can you tell me about, you know, what the writing process for this book was like? Um, what kind of challenges did you face? Anything like that? Yeah, I mean, I started writing uh, back in 2019. And actually, the impetus was for writing was I just I had an experience where I just saw how powerful storytelling is. Um, in 2018, after I had had my last uh, child, I traveled to California to visit a friend. And she introduced me to a young Yemeni American man named Muhtar Al-Khanchali. And he's a coffee entrepreneur and we were talking and he was like, oh, I was just in Yemen. Um, and then the war broke out and I had to hightail it out of Yemen. And I was like, oh, I was just in Yemen. I had to hightail it out of Yemen too. Um, and so we kind of bonded over that experience. And then a year later, uh, the famous American author, Dave Eggers had written a book about him, about Muhtar, about coffee, the history of coffee and how it came from Yemen. And they were doing a book tour. And as part of their tour, they came through Chicago. And so I told my husband, like, let's go. You know, I met this guy. Let's let's go listen to this, you know, this book event. And, you know, it was at a downtown um, building. And it was like kind of like a poshy uh, place. And there was all these older American people coming to listen to this author. Um, and they had like a, a, they had a slideshow. And so they were showing pictures of Yemen and Yemeni people. And they talked about the Yemeni war. And I was like, wow. You know, if these people didn't come to this book event, half of them, if not all of them, probably would have never been able to identify Yemen on a map. But here they are talking about Yemen, talking about the Yemeni experience. And so I thought, okay, well, you know, Syria has been going on for a decade now. 
maybe if I write about it, you know, it'll go back on people's radars or people think about it. And, you know, we can just humanize the experience. And, and the ultimate goal is to find a pol political resolution so these people can go back home. Um, there's 6 million refugees scattered throughout the world and another um, 5 to 6 million who are internally displaced in Syria. And I'm sure all of these people, they just want to go back home. Yeah, exactly. Um, so what is, you know, maybe one story or one fact, one experience that you had um, in your time there uh, that you would really want to share and let people know that's part of your book, you know? Yeah, I, I think one of the take home points for me is that um, like Syrians didn't expect this to happen. You know, uh, in the beginning of the book, I talked about how my uncle, who has lived his whole life in Syria, most of his life, I mean, he's been in the United States for, for residency training, but he's an obstetrician gynecologist. And he's he was over 70 when the war started in Syria. And right before the war, he was here in, in Chicago. And I said, hey, do you think that the Arab Spring is coming to Syria? And he's like, no way. And, and the president of Syria himself said the same thing. So Syrians didn't expect this to happen. Um, and I think if you talk to Ukrainians right before the war, war in Ukraine, they'll say the same thing. If you talk to people from Sudan right before this um, violence uh, broke out in Sudan recently, they'll say the same thing. So I think one of the take home points for me is anyone can become a refugee. And we think that we just live in this so much safety and security and that all that fighting is over there and it'll never happen to us. But, you know, if we even think about January 6th, like how close did our country come to a civil war? Um, you know, we were pretty close, I think. And so to think that that will never happen to me, I think is a delusion uh, because all of those people thought that that would never happen to them. And so these people, these refugees are just everyday human beings, just like me and you, you know? Um, so a lot of them uh, I talked to and on my first trip were like, they were moms, you know, they were taking care of their kids in Syria before the war broke out. Um, they were doing everyday mom things, um, taking care of their children, cooking, cleaning, you know, laundry, whatever, some of the work, some of them didn't. Um, and then all of a sudden they were hurled into this violence um, and then into this experience becoming a refugee. So I think the the take home point for me is like, I could have been them, they could have been me. And, it, the, and it's the same thing for anybody who reads this book. Like, don't think that, that this experience will never happen to you or could never happen to you because it can. Um, and I think we should really think about like what we would want somebody to do for us if God forbid that ever happened to us. Yeah. Um, so what do you hope to really accomplish um, by publishing your experience? And then is there any kind of call to action that you have for anyone who's could be in your audience? I hope to humanize the refugee story. Um, and I hope people can see them as human beings and um, as hardworking individuals and that they, they did something that anybody anybody else in their position would do. Like if we were sitting in our home and all of a sudden barrel bombs started raining down on our homes, we would pick up and move and we would you know put our kids in a rubber dinghy and cross the sea uh, for safety and security. Um, so that's like the number one message. And then the calls to action, there, there are a few, um, some of them being like, um, you know, if, if you live in a city that has a refugee agency, you can volunteer with a refugee agency, you can adopt a refugee family, help them acclimate to your city, um, you know, little things like teaching them how to use the transit system or the driver's license, the library, like there's so many little things that you can teach someone who just moved to your city who doesn't speak the language. 
Um, and then you could also donate to refugee agencies, donate to um, organizations that are working on the ground in Syria or uh, Turkey. Um, actually, a portion of the proceeds from this book, from any purchase of the book, um, is going to go to Med Global, which is an international NGO that's working in um, in that area and other areas in disaster areas like Colombia, Venezuela, Bangladesh, um, and, and Yemen. Um, and then the third uh, call to action would be to write our politicians and our representatives to a keep borders open, to make a humane path to citizenship, to you know, especially in terms of Syria, to kind of work on a political resolution so that people can go back home. And just for a little more insight into the situation in Syria, 22 million of Syrians have been forced to flee their home due to the ongoing civil war that began in 2011 when protests against the Syrian government led to a violent crackdown by the regime triggering a full-scale armed conflict. As the conflict intensified, widespread violence ensued along with human rights abuses and the destruction of infrastructure. The war has killed hundreds of thousands of people in the 10 years since it began. It's estimated that 6.7 million people are internally displaced inside Syria. More than half of them are women and children. The neighboring countries most affected by the influx of Syrian refugees include Turkey, Lebanon, Jordan, Iran, and Egypt. These countries have carried a significant burden in providing shelter, food, and health care to millions of displaced families. The sheer scale of this disaster has strained their resources and infrastructure, creating challenges in meeting the basic needs of refugees. Recently, Lebanon has begun conducting raids to deport Syrians as politicians have blamed refugees for their country's downfalls. Europe has also seen a significant influx of, refu of Syrian refugees with many embarking on dangerous journeys across the Mediterranean Sea to seek asylum. This has posed complex challenges for European countries in terms of managing the arrival, integration, and processing of asylum claims. Nearly one million people have applied for international protection in the European Union last year in 2022. Syrians continue to be the top nationality of asylum seekers in Europe with more than 130,000 applications. The United Nations High Commissioner for Refugees and various non-governmental organizations have been actively involved in providing assistance and support to refugees. They have worked to address immediate needs such as shelter, food, health care, and education, as well as advocating for long-term solutions and resettlement options. However, finding a comprehensive and lasting solution to the crisis remains a significant challenge given the complex dynamics involved and the involvement of multiple actors within and outside Syria. 
Well, thank you for that, Maya. And thank you for joining both of us this week. Be sure to follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at American Muslim Today. And if you'd like to read more about this story and access more digital content, feel free to check out our website, AmericanMuslimToday.com. We'll see you next week on The Muslim Viewpoint. Bye for now.